folk, welcome to episode 19 of the Fearless Flyer. My name's Grant, I'm your host, and with me, my co-host, James. How are you, James? You're not too bad, busy with uh, work and, and uni. Cool. So, so what, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you. you lie. Um, so what are you doing at work, James? Just cooking food. <laughs> It's generally what you do is work in a restaurant. Uh, but are you are, are you enjoying it? Yes, it's good. It's good. Okay, that's good. So last episode, we uh, had a chat about fire detection and extinguishing or suppression systems. And we talked about all the different systems on an aircraft to either extinguish or suppress fire. And that includes the cabin, the engines, the cargo hold, the wheel wells. And uh, this episode, what are we going to talk about in this episode, James? We're going to discuss the hydraulics, electrics, and pneumatics of aircraft, which could be described as the lifeblood of an aircraft, because they're sort of like an analogy relating to your body. would be like the blood in your body circulating around, uh, powering your organs and muscles. So we're just going to discuss those three things. So the main muscle in modern GT aircraft today is the hydraulic system. And so, well, going back a bit in the old days of flying, uh, that movement of the flight controls uh, was done with a cable attached to the, the control surface, which we've discussed what they are in previous episodes. But it was quite easy to manipulate the control services back in those days because they were small so that, and the load on the, the surface was, was pretty light compared to what they have nowadays. Yeah, that's right. And now if you look at the size of large commercial aircraft, it's basically impossible to move the controls manually. So hydraulic power is the main force utilised in the majority of aircraft today. Now, hydraulic power uses a fluid under pressure to drive certain components, and they do this by using uh, items like actuators. Do you know what an actuator is, James? It's like a hydraulic jack, how you'd lift up a car to change a tyre. Yeah, that's a jack. So when you're doing the pumping, the, the uh, thing comes out and lifts the car up. So these actuators, um, they move control services and they think, oh, they can raise and lower landing gears. This hydraulic pressure, we can also use the fluid, the power of the fluid to spin a motor, which turns a screw, which could be, say, connected to a flap, for example. Some car jacks are screw types as well. And when you spin the handle, the screw raises or lowers the jacks, except you spinning the handle is the motive force for this type of screw jack. So apart from, as you mentioned, the flap there, what else in an aircraft do you use hydraulics for? Yeah, we use our hydraulics for steering, the brakes, opening and closing the cargo doors, and also on Boeings, uh, activating the engine thrust reverses. I'm not sure about the Airbus. I think they probably do as well. Anyway, the way the hydraulic system works is you have a reservoir of fluid, like a small storage tank. We also have something to generate the pressure, and that's a pump. And this pump could be an electric pump or an engine-driven pump or even an air-driven pump or maybe a combination of these. And you need some pipes to get this pressurized fluid to the component you want to move. The pressure systems operate generally around 3,000 PSI, so it's pretty high pressure. And although you could use any fluid you want in a hydraulic system, 
really for aircraft we need fluid that meets a number of properties like we don't want it to catch fire if it leaks it's got to have a high flash point and we want it to work over a large range of temperatures so it must flow easy if the temperature is really low but also have adequate viscosity if the temperature is high and lastly it must be a good lubricant it's obviously they're made well because it's got obviously got to sustain a high pressure apart from that like what redundancy is there in an aircraft for when these all of these hydraulic systems yeah firstly generally most aircraft will probably have two independent hydraulic systems on commercial jets like the 737 800 I flew many years ago. It has uh, two hydraulic systems, but it also has a small standby backup system. Whilst the 777, it has three hydraulic systems with a fourth backup emergency system. So, for example, on the 777, the main system is the central system. And uh, this is the one where we use it for retracting extension of landing gear. It has 97 litres or about 26 gallons of fluid in the whole system. The other two systems, the smaller ones left and right, they have about 48 litres or 13 gallons, so roughly about half as much. Within a system, there might be, say, uh, two or more pumps. And as we said earlier, they could be either engine-driven, an electric-driven uh, pump, or even a pneumatically-driven air pump. So this concept of the different types of pumps not only provides a redundancy, but also both pumps could be operating during periods of high demand, so like raising the landing gear on the 777. Sometimes the multiple hydraulic systems will power a single component, but other times it will be just, say, one hydraulic system per component, and another component which does the same thing might be powered by a completely different system. And as I said before, using different hydraulic systems for say a control service two different control services that do the same thing as it basically provides system redundancy yeah so other than those there's also in the unlikely event that all the hydraulic systems fails most commercial aircraft have a rat which is a ram air turbine that's a little propeller uh, not, not very really, don't know how big they are but they drop out from some part of point of the aircraft into the airflow and uh, it, that spins around because it's obviously going through the air. And that then turns a pump to create hydraulic pressure. How yeah. big are those? Uh, yeah, they're like fairly propeller. big. I can't remember the size of them, but they drop out from under on the 777. They drop out from the belly. And uh, once it drops out, it can't, uh, it can't go back in. But uh, they're quite big. I can't remember the exact dimensions of them. But uh, obviously, the bigger the aircraft, the bigger the, the rat, the ram air turbine. Because you need to obviously generate more, more pressure, yeah, uh, more power. But so anyway, the thought that goes into these systems is quite immense. When you think about this, on your aircraft, there's three hydraulic systems, a backup one, and then a rat. So you've got a huge amount of system redundancy. And this, with the years of designs and, and lessons from past incidents, makes uh, modern aircraft hydraulic systems extremely resilient. Yeah, you're correct about that. The history of design, I mean, aircraft very early on probably had one system, but as we've developed aircraft, they've been developed with a lot of safety conscious, a lot of historical inputs gone into it and a thought into redundancy. So as you say, yes, very resilient systems on the aircraft. Sweet. Right. On to the electrical system. So we're talking about electrics, switching on a light or a vacuum cleaner in a house. All the people just take for granted 
and in your aircraft it's there's no real difference as such like you just have the buttons and they make things happen but it's not connected to a national grid so it's all like inside the aircraft so uh, again like the hydraulic system i'm assuming this electrical system has multiple uh, redundancies when it comes to the, the pushing yeah. buttons yeah yeah i agree with you yeah and you're correct the electrical power comes from um, engine driven generators or a generator on the auxiliary power unit, the APU, or a battery. And lastly, that emergency rack we talked about, the ram air turbine, it too is also capable of producing electrical power on most aircraft. We have various components in the aircraft that can change the power to AC or DC and lots of circuit breakers to isolate other systems. The main components for which we use electrics, as far as you are concerned as a passenger, is the ovens and the in-flight entertainment and the Wi-Fi. But from my perspective as a pilot, it's my instrumentation and also the various avionics boxes that drive that instrumentation. So obviously, coming into this 21st century, a lot more modern aircraft, such as the 787, use a lot more electricity as such than in previous generations of aircraft which have relied upon more hydraulics and pneumatics from the engine bleeder. Do you want to just discuss about the uh, 787 as such and why yeah, they're yes. using more electric? Yeah, Boeing's changed its ethos. As we said at the start, hydraulics has been the main muscle and power of aircraft for many generations, including most of the Boeings I've flown. But the 787, which I haven't flown, but friends have flown it, having a chat with a guy the other day about it, and... It has six generators on board, so it's got two in each engine. It also has two generators in the APU. It's got around about 500 kilometers of electrical wiring and generates about 1.5 megawatts of electricity, which, to put it in context of running a home, that's enough to run several hundred homes. There's a lot of power, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, so the result is the 787 it uses a lot more electricity because there are more electrical components um, instead of the more traditional pneumatic and hydraulic systems like earlier designs from the 737 and the 777. Boeing reckons this makes the aircraft around 3% more efficient using electrics instead of the other methods. Yeah. Is that yeah. because of uh, it's lighter, like to just have wires rather than huge pumps? I think it's because, um, like we talked about with regard to the air compressors, they use um, power to drive the air compressors. And what that means is the air compressors provide the air conditioning. Where in the past, there'd be a lot of bleed air coming off the engine, which makes the engine less efficient. There'd be ducting coming off the engine. You've got to have coolers, pre-coolers, they're called, and then it goes to an air conditioning system. So you get a lot of piping. And that alone, they reckon a 3% saving. But with the overall design of everything in the new design of the 787 and the lighter fuselage, when you put all these new design concepts together, they reckon it's around 20% more efficient than an aircraft of comparable size. So huge change. And electrical component seems to be a significant part of that drive and the change in the savings. Talking about electricity, they're obviously now coming from batteries and uh, there's been a lot of press coverage to do with computers and phones catching fire but then also in the early days of the 787 they had quite a few battery issues to do with the aircraft did you want to just discuss 
about what like what's going on with that yeah. hole yeah the 787 it's got lithium iron batteries and they're used for starting the apu and as a backup or redundancy to the electrical system there are two batteries on the 787 and they're about twice the size of your car battery and they weigh just under 30 kilograms or around 63 pounds so they're quite small so although the 787 batteries went through many years of testing there were a few issues which were called thermal events which means in plain terms fire that occurred and this occurred when it entered service but these have been resolved now in addition to the original design they've got four controllers that regulate the power and temperature and pressure in order to prevent one of these thermal runaways. And the battery is also enclosed in a box designed to contain a fire. New technology, it does provide a few curveballs, but with the addition of a few other safety nets placed into the design, there have been no problems since, and there are many 787s in service today. Out of curiosity, for example, the 777, we also have two batteries, but they're heavy nickel cadmium batteries, and they weigh uh, nearly 50 kgs or or 108 pounds so they're twice as heavy as the 787 batteries but you know that's advancements in modern battery technology modern aircraft design is all about more power for less weight so that's electrics and lastly aircraft pneumatic systems how do you yeah. normally smell pneumatics? Well, yeah, pneumatics is a pain. It's P-N, and you always think pneumatic. So yes, I always spell it P-N-U-E, but it's actually P-N-E-U. Yeah, it always confuses me. But yeah, so it's actually P-N-E-U, and uh, I will probably continue to misspell it for the rest of my life. So it's uh, good you not an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> so on traditional aircraft, and I'm talking about up to the 777, Pneumatic air was supplied from the engine as bleed air, and we talked about that briefly before. And as I said, it can get very, very hot. For example, on the 777, if we take bleed air off, it comes out in about 193 degrees centigrade or 380 degrees Fahrenheit. So this hot air, it's really good for anti-icing on the leading edge of the wing or around the inlet of the cowl of the engine. But it must go through a pre-cooler before it's used in other areas of the aircraft. And that's why I was talking about the additional weight and the components here. So other areas we use the bleed air for, the air conditioning and pressurization. We also can use it for air-driven pumps like the hydraulic pumps. We use it to pressurize the water tanks in the aircraft for the toilets and drinking water. We can use it for cargo heating and also for starting the engines. We use air from the APU, or if we have a broken APU, we can start one engine using ground air and then uh, use the other engine once it started to get bleed air out of that to start the other engine. Or if you're on a four-engine aircraft like the 747, you can use one engine probably to start all the other three. The concept is similar to hydraulic fluid in a pipe in that it is air trapped under pressure in the pipe, like pressurized hydraulic fluid. However, the advantage um, of the hydraulic fluid over the air is that hydraulic fluid doesn't compress, where air can compress a heck of a lot. So coming back to the 787, it is not using air from the engines like most other aircraft in service, but as I said before, dedicated air compressors, which are driven by electricity. And that's the new theory being that we only use just enough power as required, and therefore we don't bleed the air off the engine, which means less plumbing, etc. So pneumatics are probably going to become less of a lifeblood in the likes of designs of future aircraft, and the 787's already demonstrated that. 
Yeah, so it's basically modern aircraft. Well, they incorporate all three of these concepts being hydraulics, electrics, and pneumatics to drive different aircraft components. However, the technology within these components is dictating sort of what one they use and how they use them to do with efficiency and the weight savings that come. And these sort of become the driving force, uh, which dictates how Boeing and Airbus and all the other aircraft designers decide which, which of these three to choose. So most modern aircraft these days use them multiple, all three, a bit of all three, a bit of each yep. to help backup, either be a back, whether it be a backup system or, or the main system, depending on how they're, they're built. That's correct. So you take, for example, the Boeing 777. During landing gear attraction, the landing gear is rather large and there's a huge demand on the entire central hydraulic system during re- retraction, which is powered by um, two electric pumps. And when we go to retract the landing gear to the up position, the two main electric hydraulic pumps, they're operating at maximum ability. And they're also backed up with an air-driven pump, which kicks in during these high periods of demand, such as landing gear retraction. Uh, another example, um, and this is more from regard to redundancy, say is flap extension. Uh, normally, this is powered by the central hydraulic system on the 777. But should this fail, some electric motors take over if the hydraulics fail, and this now uh, drive the flaps and slats as required. But it just takes a bit longer to extend them, that's all. So you can see there are multiple methods of driving components in an aircraft, um, those being hydraulics, electrics, and pneumatics. Not only are there multiple sources of power and separate independent systems for each method, but another method of power can be employed as a support or a complete backup. So there's a lot of redundancy built into the design of an aircraft. Yeah, I think that pretty much concludes what our discussion is on those three powering items. Is there anything else you want to add there, James? No, just I think. As the viewer, if you are tuning in as a nervous fly, just remember everything has got multiple redundancies and all three of these systems are generally incorporated to sort of complement one another and back each other up. Yeah. Now, um, the next episode, we're going to talk about the APU, that's the auxiliary power unit, and the GPU or the ground power unit. And we're going to talk about a thing called an air starter, which is probably the noisiest thing on an airport. You definitely hear it when it's being activated to start your engines if your auxiliary power unit is not working. But that won't take very long, but we'll just have a little chat about those three items there. Uh, do you want to have a Lovely. chat about how uh, people can get in touch with us, James, to give us feedback or they want to write to us when they want some more information and baby and Yeah, I'm podcast? pretty sure. Uh, well, you've obviously got the, is the email in the show notes or is that yes, through the website? Yeah, I have the email in the show notes, yeah. Sweet. So the email in the show notes. And then there's also links to our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So don't hesitate to send us a message there. I feel more comfortable doing so. We also put on there when we've got new episodes. So make sure you like there and you get notified when a new episode is out. That sounds good. So from me, it's goodbye to your ears. And from James, have a good day. Yeah. We'll catch you in the next one. See you later.